brethren, a very real Satan the devil is moving very rapidly these days. It's already been mentioned by one in this service, and I think most of you realize that if you know that there is a real devil. Satan has a lot of energy. He never gets tired. He works in the sons of disobedience day and night, and the Bible tells us that. He never gets tired. He never lets down. And so we need to realize that, that what we're up against. He's very obviously intervening in world affairs. He's guiding overall, even the nations of the world. This recent Brexit vote is splitting uh, Britain, and Satan is trying to attack both physical Israel and spiritual Israel. And that's causing a great deal of consternation and division among the British people. And as you know, the Scottish people are threatening to now leave as well. So it's going to weaken the people of Ephraim in a number of ways, apparently, in the years ahead. Also, we know the true church of God has always taught, and Mr. Herbert Armstrong taught way back in the 1940s, that Britain would not be part of the coming European Empire, the revival of the Holy Roman Empire that's going to take place very soon. He always said Britain would not be part of that because Britain is Ephraim. And we're Manasseh. We will not be part of that empire. So that's another piece of the puzzle that's already come together. They're probably going to lose the Falkland Islands. They're probably going to lose Gibraltar. They're already under siege. They're the only two sea gates left. All the other sea gates have been taken away. God's prophetic events are moving ahead. Satan sees that and he hates that because he knows that his time is short. But certainly we need to understand what's involved here. Satan's, Satan's program has always been divide and conquer. Satan will try to divide and conquer the Israelite people. He will try to divide and conquer God's true church every way he can. I've seen that. As you know, I've been in the church for almost 67 years since I came to Ambassador College in early September 1949, Satan tries to divide and conquer over and over in every way he can. And so we need to be aware of that and aware of Satan's devices. And so we have to understand that this recent shooting, this recent murder of five policemen in Dallas is just another piece of the puzzle. That's not the end, brethren. That's just the beginning. I'm sorry to tell you that. We're going to have all kinds of division we're going to have all kinds of upsets. We're going to have race war, class war. We're going to have drought and famine, lack of food, food wars, raging forests and range fires, terrible storms and earthquakes and disease epidemics beyond anything we've ever seen. The book of Luke calls it great earthquakes, such as the world has never seen. The great God is beginning to intervene. And you young people, you, you people that are under 35, you're probably going to live into the most exciting time in human history if you keep living. And it'll be exciting. Some of us older people may not be here. We'll miss the excitement. But it's also going to be very traumatic. And it's going to test a lot of you. I've had to be tested in all kinds of things in the work now for 64 years full time. But God's going to test you in a different way. 
and is going to let Satan test you in various ways. He will try to divide and conquer God's work. He will try to accuse. He's called the accuser of the brethren, as you know, in Revelation chapter 12. So he'll try to accuse God's church and accuse God's leadership. But we've got to come out of this world. We can't be hating each other. We can't be hating our brethren who have a different race or anything else like that. God tells us that over and over to come out of Babylon. And back in Philippians chapter 3, if you turn with me, turn with me at this point if you all would, to Revelation, I mean to Philippians, the book of Philippians chapter 3 at this point. Philippians chapter 3, he says, For many walk, in verse 18, Verse 18, for many walk of which I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Many in the church back then were enemies and were attacking whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. If you get involved in just trying to get ahead and hate people that cause trouble, whether they're a different race or religion or whatever it is, you become part of this world and you get in their attitude of competition and jealousy and hate and violence. Don't do that. He tells us here in verse 20, for our citizenship, God Almighty tells us Christians, our citizenship is not here in the United States or Britain or Canada. Our citizenship, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven from which Christ is not going to stay there. He's going to come back to this earth heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body and make it conform to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Christ is coming back as King of kings, the Lord of lords, in tremendous power and glory and magnificence. And we need to realize that we're just strangers and pilgrims here on this earth. This is Satan's world. God tells us that in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Satan is the devil. He is the God of this world. Many other scriptures tell us that. Back in Revelation 12, verse 9, we'll read that later. Where Satan has deceived all the nations, not some of the nations, all the nations. He is the God of this present society. Not the earth, but the world, the cosmos, this present society of man. And we're to come out of that. We're not to be part of that and get involved in the world's politics and their wars and their hates and their riots and their violence and their attitudes. We're not to do that. But we must certainly cry out to God and help us understand that our job is to prepare for kingship in the coming kingdom of God. And we've got to understand that we're in the meantime fighting a spirit war. Because this world... There is a spirit world out there. And brethren, I want all of you to be more aware of that. I don't think most of you are really fully aware of it. You're sort of vaguely aware of it, but I don't think many of you get it. It's not something you think about very often. All around us are spirit beings. I'm not kidding. More than you probably realize, there may be more of God's true people. I'm not saying that for sure. There may be some other bigger gathering. But there may be more of God's true people right here today, right now, than anywhere on earth at this particular moment. And God's angels are here. And Satan is circling and some of his demons. We know that God has over 100 million angels. 
around the throne of God alone. The book of Revelation shows that how many millions of, of demons are there. When Satan took one-third, one-third of the angelic host, millions of demons, fallen angels, wicked spirits, Understand, there is a spirit world, and we have to understand that in order to resist it and know what our enemy really is. So I hope we can get it and understand what we're up against. A spirit war is going to come in the next several years. Back in Second Chronicles, if you turn there, this is a very exciting scripture. Second Chronicles, in your Old Testament, but remember, Jesus Christ showed us were to live by every word of God. And the only word of God they had, the only written word, was the Old Testament, what we call it. It's God's mind. This book is God's mind. This book is the revelation of the way God thinks, the way God is, the way God acts. Please understand that. And the book of the Bible is much more exciting when you think about it that way. Our Creator is revealing how He thinks, what's going to happen, what His purpose is, how He reacts to various situations, and how He wants us to react. In Second Chronicles back here, in chapter 18, you notice some interesting things. It talks about how uh, this Micaiah was trying to encourage the king to do what God said, and the worldly people there didn't want to do that. And so he then finally told the king, rather than trying to bluff him and kind of make fun of his request, knowing he didn't want to follow the request, he said in verse 16, Second Chronicles 18:16. then Micaiah, God's prophet, said, here's the prophet of God speaking, revealing a spirit world, the mind of God. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. He knew that this people of Israel were going to be conquered in this coming war. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his own house in peace. And the king of Israel, not Judah, the king of Israel said uh, to Jehoshaphat, who was king of Judah standing there, that I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Then Micaiah said, Here is the mind of God. Therefore, hear the word of God, the word of the Lord. I saw this prophet, and God inspired this to be put in the Bible, what this man saw. I saw the, uh, I saw the Lord, the ever-living one, sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Eternal said, Who will persuade the king of Israel to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one spoke in this manner, and another that. A conference in heaven. God is there. He's allowing these angels to speak. And, and it's sort of a conference they were having. Then a spirit came forth, part of this spirit world, and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the ever-living one said, in what way? So this other spirit said, a demon, perhaps. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the eternal said, you shall persuade him and prevail. Go out and do so. So God let him do that, because this king of Israel was very wicked, and God was going to punish him anyway. So he said, go ahead. Now, therefore, look, 
the ever-living one has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. He told the king of Israel, not the king of Judah, but the wicked king of Israel, and the eternal has decided disaster against you. So God Almighty revealed here in the Bible a heavenly conference with angels discussing what they could do to overcome this king, to deceive this king, to bring about what God wanted. And God was talking to them. It's a little vision, a little insight into the mind of God and how spirit beings are there. And God and angels and even demons sometimes discuss what's going to happen and what's going to be done because this is Satan's world. And God is allowing these things to happen. God is the overall leader, but he's allowing Satan to rule this world for this 6,000 years of man's rebellion since we sinned in the Garden of Eden. And then he's going to intervene and send Christ back as King of Kings to straighten it all out. But until that time, all these things are going to happen. And remember, brethren, Satan comes at you sometimes, and he, everything he says is not wrong. He has a mixture. What did Satan do in deceiving Adam and Eve? He had them take a tree of the knowledge of what? A pure evil? No, they were taking the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A bad mixture. You can have 90% something good in your food, but you have just 10% strychnine or some other poison, and it'll kill you. Kill you quick. Just a little bit of evil. God does not want evil. He does not want us to have a mixture of good and evil. But the devil is very clever at how he presents it. He often makes fun of ministers. You say, well, that's terrible. No, some of them are Catholic or Protestant ministers who do kind of crazy things. So what some of the hum humor is maybe justified and make people laugh, but the indication underneath what Satan is trying to do is to make all of God's ministers look bad, to make God himself look bad and irrelevant, which he's now almost succeeded in doing because of this recent situation. For instance, as most of you know, if you've been following on radio and television, which I have, about the murder of these five Dallas policemen, what do they talk about? They talk about better policing methods, better attitudes toward race, talk about better uh, tr training of the police and things like that. They virtually never mention God, never mention the Ten Commandments, never mention the root cause that men have cut themselves off from God and so they do not have the fear of God. They murder each other because God is not in their thoughts. They have rejected God. The world does not even bring that into discussion. Because Satan has blinded them so much by various religions who have a mixture of good and evil. It's not all evil. That's, that's the reason they can fool people. A little bit of it is good, but a lot of evil is mixed in. And that's what kills people eventually because they're cut off from God. Back in Daniel, the ninth chapter, turn there with me at this point. More about the revelation of God and the spirit wars that are taking place. The book of Daniel I want to turn to chapter 9 and beginning in verse 19. After telling how they had done wrong and God had punished them for these 70 years of Babylonian captivity, why then God tell, or Daniel says in his prayer, verse 19, Daniel 9, 19, O eternal hear, O eternal give, 
O eternal, listen and act, and do not delay for your own sake and for the sake of your city and your people who are called by your name. Now, while I was speaking, Daniel said, praying this earnest, heartfelt prayer to God and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the eternal God, while I was speaking a prayer, notice, a spirit being appeared. A spirit world is there. A man of Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, and informed me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill and understanding at the beginning of your supplication. Look, Daniel, when you first started to pray, the command came out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. And I'm come to give you understanding of the end times. And then he gives them this 70 weeks prophecy showing when Christ would come after 40, 183 years and so on. As angel of God appeared and did that. Then in chapter 10, turn down to Daniel chapter 10. In those days when Daniel was constantly seeking God and God's guidance, I, Daniel, was mourning. He apparently was fasting and fasting and praying for three full weeks. He may not have fasted the whole time, but he probably fasted part of the time and was on a very limited diet the rest of the time. Some of you remember Mr. Armstrong used to go out to Palm Springs and rent a house for a month in December. And he didn't fast every day. He didn't pretend to. But he would fast for a couple of days and rest, but just have some time just a bland diet limited diet to study and pray and meditate and clean out his system. Then he'd fast again for a while and so on all the time he was there. So Daniel was in mourning for three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, nor meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three full weeks were fulfilled. So on the twelfth day, he suddenly sees this vision, this mighty powerful being in verse 6. The appearance of lightning, his eyes were like torches of fire, a great spirit being appeared to him. And verse 10, then suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble at my knees and the palms of my hands. And this great angel, this angel of God, he said, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you. And stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While I was speaking this word, I stood trembling. A powerful spirit being was right there, probably emanating, maybe pulsating noises and energy and light. And Daniel was trembling. Then he said, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand. Brethren, do you ever start praying and studying and fasting? Help me understand everything, God. Help me understand what to do. Help me to be sure. Help me understand. From the first day, you begin to do this and to humble yourself before God. Your words were heard. God didn't hear that first or didn't answer the first day. But later, this angel comes and said, from the first day, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me three weeks. 
And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. What's going on? God reveals a number of times, brethren, behind every pagan nation that is into demonism and paganism. It it doesn't look bad. Lots of American tourists go to India or somewhere. They say, oh, they bring back an image of Buddha. Isn't that cute? No, it's not cute. It's a pagan idol. It's a pagan idol that should not be in your house. You should not have that kind of thing, even though you don't mean to represent it or worship it. Nevertheless, God works, or Satan works through these things. But these demons are behind every pagan nation. I'm just telling you that when you read the whole Bible, we could have a whole sermon on that. Behind every pagan nation is a demon or demons. And so the prince of Persia, present day Iran, was withstanding the true angel of God here. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me three weeks. And behold, Michael, remember the three great cherubim, the three great super archangels were Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. And Lucifer, the third one, the great light bringer, he became a prince of darkness instead of light. He turned away from God. He took one-third of the angels with him. One-third. Millions of spirit beings turned away and followed Lucifer. Such a powerful influence. And brethren, that can influence you too more than most of you can imagine if you let it do so. You must not let it do so. You've got to understand there is a spirit world. That world is real. I know many of you young people, you have fun and you listen to your latest song and want to see the latest TV show, which may or may not be good. It may be bad in many cases, but your mind's on those things. You'd better start tuning in to your Creator. It's going to affect every single thing around you. It's going to affect the food you eat, the water you drink, and either whether you have food or water. It's going to affect the fires, the earthquakes the disease epidemics, the whole society. Everything is going to change because of this spirit world. God intervening and God allowing Satan to do lots of things too. It's very real. And God gives us the details of it in the Bible. It has to become real to you for you to understand you're at war. All of us, whether we mean to be or not, we're at war against Satan or we better be. Otherwise, we'll, we'll lose the war by default. So the prince of Persia withstood me, and Michael, the chief archangel, came and helped me. Now I have come to you to make you understand what will happen in the people in the latter days. So God was revealing through this angel to Daniel what was going to happen later on. And he says here near the end, he says, uh, if I may, I think I've turned beyond this. He said again, verse uh, 19, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak for you. Strengthen me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. So there's going to be a spirit battle. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. You see, Greece was also a pagan nation. You know, it's been in, in the past in Time magazine, the old Life magazine, all the important magazines and papers. 
this great Greek heritage that we have, the great philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, all these people supposed to be so smart, there were pagans. They were not so smart. They had all kinds of very wrong ideas. I took a course in philosophy in what is now called Missouri Southern College. That was not part of the business curriculum. I felt I wanted to understand. And it helped me to take it because I realized how absolutely empty these philosophers were. They didn't understand anything because I was hearing Mr. Armstrong night after night on the radio and hearing all this garbage coming out of their mouths and reading their writings. They did not understand. They philosophized and had all kinds of reasoning. They're guided by demons. The prince of Grecia, of course, was a, over a pagan nation, and he says he will come. But I will tell you what is revealed in the scripture of truth. Where is truth? This word. This gives you understanding of the real world around you, the spirit world. How to get into the kingdom of God, or if you don't do your part, you'll be end up being in the kingdom of Satan. Satan has a kingdom, and you're a part of that kingdom, and you're going to go where Satan is going eventually, into the lake of fire. You've got to make a choice. You've got to stand for one thing or the other. So I'm going to show you what is noted in the Scripture of Truth. And no one upholds me in this war, this battle, except Michael, your prince. Michael was the, the chief archangel, the one who watched over Israel. Michael, which means like unto God. So we need to understand the spirit war that we're in and how vital that is and how meaningful that is. Yet, brethren, God's angels, his true angels, are always nearby. As you read the book of Acts, I don't begin to have the time to read all the scriptures. I'll read you one or two, but recognize all around us right now are angels, and you have angels watching over you. You should never pray to them. You pray to God, but you want to realize they're there. If you serve God, they will help you. So let's turn out of the book of Acts. Let's turn to chapter 12. I could have a whole sermon just on what's mentioned here in the book of Acts about this matter because he describes it again and again through the entire book of Acts. I just finished rereading it for about the 100th or 200th time. I used to teach it every single year in freshman Bible class, so I read it a lot. But in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, verse 1, now, about that time, Herod the king, this ancient pagan king over Israel at that point, because they were part of the Roman Empire, had been conquered, stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. So here was God's true church being picked on by the civil rulers. Then he killed, Herod killed James, the brother of John. Remember the original James, the other James came in later, who called James the Lord's brother. So he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. He, he chopped his head off, apparently. God allowed things like that to happen. Did they all give up and quit? No. You must not give up and quit if God allows persecution to come on this church. You must not quit. You've got to come to know that God is real. He'll protect you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And if he allows some few of us to be killed or beaten up or something, that's just part of the course. It's part of the, the, the obstacle course we go through. But God is there. He's doing the big things overall. And we've got to understand that and no one know that we know that and put our faith in God. So he killed James, 
And because he saw it pleased the Jews who were trying to destroy the church, of course, he, he proceeded further to seize Peter. So now he sees the chief apostle who did most of the speaking, as you know, all the way through the book of Acts. He sees Peter. And he, it was also during the days of unleavened bread. This was years and years, 10 or 15 years after Christ's sacrifice. But the days of unleavened bread were still being observed. Otherwise, this wouldn't even be mentioned. So when he apprehended Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. The Passover and days of unleavened bread season was a special season, and Herod didn't want to cause an uprising, so he was going to do this later. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church, God's true people. If I were thrown in prison... If Mr. Ames was thrown in prison, we hope you'd be praying for us. In the same way, they prayed and prayed constantly to deliver Peter. And so when Herod was about to bring him out that night, the very night before they were to bring him out, perhaps kill him, Peter was sleeping bound, probably with chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. And behold, verse 7, an angel Here's a great spirit being. We're surrounded by spirits, brethren. There is a spirit world. And so an angel of the Lord stood by, and a light shone in the prison and struck Peter on the side, saying, Arise quickly. His chains fell right off. Great big chains with a lock, probably to lock them close around his body. They just fell right off supernaturally. God is not limited. He's not limited, as I've told you before. What if they captured me and put me in a space capsule and said, you relent and stop this preaching about God and the true way of God, or we're going to put you in a space capsule and we're going to shoot you way out past Mars and you'll be millions of miles in outer space. Will you be helpless out there? No. God, outer space, here's the world, let's say, where this mic is, and here's outer space. Man's idea of outer space. Real outer space is way out there. God is not limited. Of course God could bring me right back with no problem whatever. There's nothing in heaven or earth now or in the future that could take us away from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Read the last few verses of Romans chapter 8. Nothing, nothing can take us from the love of Christ. Nothing can take us from the love of God and His protection. So we've got to know that, believe that. But anyway, God intervened here. The chains fell right off. And so this angel, this spirit being said, put on your clothes here and your sandals. And he did so follow me. And he followed the angel outside the prison thinking he, he, he thought it's all a dream. Somehow I thought this must be a vision. I must be in a dream or something. And so they went out. And he, when they passed the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate. A great big iron gate, no doubt, locked solid. It just creak, 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 open supernaturally. An angel has no problem with that. And the, the thing came open, and then they went out down the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. You see, God will do, as Mr. Armstrong explained again and again, God will do for us what we cannot do. But God expects us to do for what we can do. So the angel got him out there, 
supernaturally confused the guards, made them in kind of a stupor, blinded them or something. Then he just went right down and turned the corner and went down the street. Once he got down there, he didn't really have to have an angel anymore. Suddenly he disappears. And when Peter had come to himself, he suddenly realized, wow, this thing that's been leading me, this angel is gone. Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the Herod and the expectation of the Jewish people who wanted to kill him. So when he could thought about that, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. You know, this is the one who wrote the book of Mark. This was his mother, where many were gathered together praying. God people were crying out, please, Father, oh God in heaven, deliver Peter. And somehow, they didn't dawn on them how quickly God was doing it. He'd already done it while they were still praying. And as Peter knocked at the door, this little girl named Rhoda came and jumping up and down said, Oh, Peter's outside. They didn't believe her, remember? They said, You're beside yourself. And she kept insisting, No, he's out there. He's out there. So they said, It's his angel. Think about that. You see, they constantly were aware in the New Testament church of God that there were angels and that there were demons. They were aware, most of you in this room and most of you brethren around the world, that there is a very real spirit world. They just automatically said, well, then it's his angel. They thought an angel was there. They didn't think Peter had been let out. So that's the way they thought it. It was a very real thing. Now, Peter continued knocking, bang, bang, and they finally came to the door and were astonished. And he said, be quiet, don't yell. They're starting to yell with happiness, I guess, and they thought the neighbors might hear and turn him in. So he told them to be quiet and declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James. Remember, James had just had his head chopped off. So this was the other James, James, the Lord's brother. After Christ died, his brothers began to meet with the apostles, it tells us in the first chapter or two of Acts. But they weren't leaders for a while. Now the Lord's own brother, Jesus Christ's brother, who grew up as a little boy. Wow, what an opportunity. <laughs> Did you ever have a perfect older brother? A perfect older brother who never, ever made a mistake? No one ever has, except James and Jude and Jesus' brothers. They had had an older brother who was God. Emmanuel, God in the flesh. So James now had become converted, and all that knowledge came back to me. What would Jesus do? He'd seen Jesus make mistakes, or not make mistakes, make decisions, I mean. He'd seen what Jesus would do over and over and over all day long around the house. So once he was filled with and led by God's Spirit and his experience, then he became the leading minister at Jerusalem. And Peter went off to the peoples of Israel, the house of Israel, the scattered ten tribes. And Paul went out to the Gentiles. But when they came back to have a big conference in Jerusalem, as you read in Acts 15, then James was the one who was kind of the presiding apostle at that point. So Peter kept knocking. So he said, go and tell it to James. And he departed and went to another place. And then there was no small stir about the soldiers, about what had become of Peter. What happened to Peter? How did he get out? They didn't understand. They were pagans. A spirit being led him out. And they did not believe that. But, brother, we need to understand and believe those things because we're going to be facing trials and tests and it'll scare the fire out of you sometimes unless you know that God is there, that God is your Father, 
that he has angels all around you. He can help you, deliver you, guide you in ways that human beings cannot understand because God is real and the spirit world is very, very real as well. Now let's turn to another scripture about this matter of the spirit world and what we should do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians in your New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And you'll notice here in uh, verses, uh, let's say picking up the story in about verse 12. Paul talks about their, how God tested them in the Old Testament. And some of the Old Testament Israelites began to murmur against God and murmur against Moses. And he said, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't just assume you've got it made. You may not have it made. I don't have it made yet. God is going to keep testing me until the end of my life. I'm tested every day. And you will be tested every day. Take heed lest you fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. You say, how can I win a spirit battle? Well, God won't allow Satan to tempt you too much. You don't need to use that excuse. He will never allow that to happen. That kind of temptation has come to people down through time. He will never allow that to be you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. And you better believe that in this society. We've got to flee idolatry, even though we don't always recognize where it is. So notice, I speak as the wise man. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not communion? Literally, in communion with sharing with the blood of Christ, the bread which we break is not communion of the body of Christ. For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partakers of the altar? In other words, if people and these pagan churches around us call themselves Christian when they have their so-called communion, or they have their Lord's Supper, or they have their Mass, they don't know God. They do not understand God. It's not their fault. We shouldn't hate them. I used to be that way. For 19 years, I did not understand until I came to Ambassador College and finally the shackles began to come off my body and the shackles, so to speak, spiritually came off my brain. And I could understand. The blindness was taken away. And I could understand. They don't understand yet, but they are following pagan customs, their way and attitude, the whole understanding they have of breaking bread, communion, Lord's Supper, Mass. That's not God's way. It's all based on a pagan understanding of the wrong God, the wrong Christ, the whole wrong way of life. What I'm saying, that an idol is anything, or that what is offered to an idol is anything, no, that thing doesn't have a lot of power. But I say this, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, who are the spiritual Gentiles today? Everyone outside of God's church. They're spiritual Gentiles. They're worshiping the wrong God, the wrong Christ, in the wrong way. The things with the Gentiles sacrifice, you say, well, they mean well, they're sincere. Well, the Gentiles mean well, they're sincere. But the things they sacrifice, 
they sacrificed to demons. Wow! The things they sacrificed that seemed so innocent that I used to do when I grew up in this Protestant church because it was a mixture of good and evil. I was being taught about little Lord Jesus away in a manger, silent night, holy night, mother and child. I did not understand the true God. It all seemed so nice. But I was being taught the modern variety of paganism. And I was being taught by people influenced by demons. They weren't evil people. They simply were deceived people. Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they fall in the ditch together. But don't follow blind people that are under the influence of Satan the devil. Don't do that. Because they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord. You know, you cannot drink the true Passover wine and also the cup of demons. He repeats the word demons here two or three times. Demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table in the cup of demons. Are we to provoke the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? No, we'd better come out of that. God doesn't want, want us to have a religion based on a mixture of good and evil. The devil is very clever about that. So we're to come out of this world as way of worship, and we've got to powerfully resist Satan and resist his lies, his whole way of life. Back in Revelation chapter 18 now, turn with me if you would to Revelation chapter 18. Here we find in Revelation 18, after these things... He's describing how this great Babylon falls down. I saw the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. He says in the last verse of chapter 17, modern Rome, modern Babylon. I saw another angel coming down from heaven, great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. A true angel, perhaps archangel of God. And he cried mightily with a loud voice. God shouts out so people can hear it. They get it. He shouts out with great authority. The earth was illuminated with his glory. He cried mightily, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen. This modern system that will be rising in Europe and the precursor of it is already there. It's fallen and what? Has become the habitation of what? Demons are the all horrible people over there indulging in, in animal sacrifice or child sacrifice? No, but they're indulging in a whole religion that's based on demonism and turning away from the true God. They sacrifice to demons, and it's a prison for every fowl and cage of every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations, not just some, all the nations have been drunk with a Wine of the wrath of her fornication. The Chinese have their form of paganism. The people of India have their form of paganism. Every nation on earth has been overcome by Satan and this wine that makes men spiritually drunk. And the earth has committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Often this system makes people rich physically. The Americans are almost insane about wanting to get more, get more. Got to have two cars. Got to have two TVs. The women can't stay home and be homemakers anymore. 
like my mother did and live in a smaller house and yet have a time to take care of your children, you've got to have a big house with two cars, two TVs, two this and two that. No, you don't. In God's coming government, there'll be some rich people, but everyone doesn't have to have all that. They can be absolutely gloriously happy without all that. I've told you this before, but I mean it, brother. Just give you an example. One of the happiest couples I ever saw, I met back in about 1952 on the Baptist physical tour in southern Louisiana. If you look on a map, you see New Orleans, and down south is a place called Homa, H-O-U-M-A. Boy, it's hot and humid and sweaty down there. Burke and I drove back on a plank road. It was so wet and muddy that he probably get stuck, so they put wooden planks, and you had to keep on the planks or your, your car would sink right down. But back at the end of this plank road was a shack. It was clean inside, though. This young woman, newly married couple, not newly married, they'd been married, we found out, for two or three years. They didn't have children yet. She was a very pretty, kind of a Cajun-type young woman, very pretty, and her husband was a very nice-looking young man. And they had a dirt floor, but she kept it absolutely clean. There was no junk scattered around. And they had just a very plain bed they slept on. They didn't need covers. I think they had some sheets. It was always warm and hot down there. They had virtually nothing. They didn't have electric lights. They didn't have running water. But they were happy, just being with happiness. They were so happy with one another. They had enough to eat and enough to wear. And they were very happy because they learned to love each other and they were loving God and giving their lives to God and we baptized them. We, I noticed while we were there two or three hours, a constant glow of happiness. They didn't have a new TV. They didn't have any TV. But they were happy. So there are, you could be very, very happy with all these gadgets if you have someone you love, a husband or wife or friends or family and so on. You have to understand that. But modern society is based on get, get, get. You think you're happy because of the physical things you have. No, you're not. Some of the most miserable people in the world have had tremendous. I always remember the man that Mr. Armstrong had a problem with. He said, Armstrong, you'll never get my property. His name was Hewlett C. Merritt. He owned the property that became Ambassador Hall and Terrace Villa and some of the main buildings along which became the college campus later. God did give Mr. Armstrong his property. And if you read the Mr. Armstrong's autobiography, you'll find how I had the opportunity to write Mr. Armstrong, actually to, to telegraph him aboard ship on the way to England that this property came for sale. And then he asked me to take Herman Hay over and look it over, see if it would be fit for classroom usage. And we said it was. He said, buy it. He told tells you that in the autobiography we were able to buy that property because it was sold at auction, Merritt had died. We got that property for pennies on the dollar almost. A beautiful property which became a million, was a millionaire's mansion and later was restored like a multi-millionaire's mansion again. We call it an ambassador college with, with uh, ambassador hall and a beautiful Philippine mahogany inside. All kinds of wonderful things. God gave it to us. God gave it to us because that was his will. But at any rate, Modern Babylon is based on get, get, get. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, verse 4, about this modern Babylon, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. 
Plagues are going to come on modern Babylon. You read about it in this book. I don't need to read all that to you. It's got to be horrible. Do you want those plagues? No. Let God become real to you. Brethren, and you young people who don't fully get it yet, a lot of you, learn to come apart from your television and your rock music once in a while and read this book. Read it as though it's God speaking, because it is. It's the mind of God. It's an insight into the mind of God, the way God thinks and the way God is. It gives you a window into the way things really are, the spirit world. And you need that. And once you understand that aspect of it, it will be very exciting. So each day is kind of exciting to me. I get up and look at the paper. More prophetic things are happening. More prophetic things are happening. It's all coming together. Different pieces of the puzzle that I've helped to understand and helped even preach since 1952 when I raised up the church down in San Diego. I've been preaching these things for a long time. 64 years. And it's happening. It's very exciting. The Bible could be a very exciting thing when you put the pieces of the puzzle together and you understand it is the mind of God. It's the revelation of God's way of thinking. It's the revelation of the big things He's affecting the world with. Not that there's a little sweet Jesus off somewhere that has no meaning. No, a real God who intervenes in human affairs in specific ways, affecting the lives of hundreds and hundreds of millions of human beings who gave modern Ephraim and Asa the great sea gates. He gave Britain those gates. We probably read about that in Mr. O'Gwen's booklet on the United States and Britain in Prophecy. But he's the one that gave us the, the great Suez Canal and the Bab el Mandeb at the southern entrance of the Red Sea. He's the one that gave us the, the uh, uh, straight uh, uh, out in, in, in eastern Pacific there. He's the one who gave us the Panama Canal. He's the one who gave us Gibraltar. He's the one who gave us all these other great sea gates. And now he's taken them all away, except two. All away. He's the one who gave Britain control of the uh, passage coming out from uh, what we call Iran now. The Street of Hormuz is trying to think of it. Very vital sea gate. It's gone. But Britain used to control the Strait of Hormuz. Britain used to control the tip around South Africa called Cape Horn. They can, uh, no, Cape of Good Hope, I mean. All those things are gone. The only ones left, as I said, are Gibraltar, which is under siege already, and, and the, uh, Falkland Islands, which help control the tip around South America. These things affect hundreds of millions of dollars of commerce passing through ships and making the sea lanes safe. And they affect the lives in peace and in war, even more, of hundreds of millions of human beings. Mr. Armstrong was the only one who predicted that the Eastern European nations would break free from the Soviet boot. He said they're going to break through. And all of a sudden, that winter of 1989 and 1990, he was dead. He didn't have to be alive to make it come about. He was God's servant. He said it would come about just about four years after he died. It did come about. Remarkable. Just one thing after the other after the other that all came about. And then the Berlin Wall would come down. He said it would come down. And the two Germanys came together. And Germany did become the most powerful nation in Europe, which I have heard him say since the 1940s. He was saying that way back then. He understood that because he was God's servant. 
and we're in this work carrying on that same work, we understand God is real. There is a spirit world out there, and we'd better be in touch with that world and understand if we don't, we're in trouble. We're going to lose out on eternity. So we really do want to make sure that we do our part and come out of this world. So remember, brethren, we have our part to do to come out of this world. Now, let's turn at this point, if you would, to chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12. A lot of you know where I'm going. Here's where the great spirit war is going to take place. In Revelation chapter 12, and let's see here how much more time we have left. Good. Revelation 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars, describing, as you know, ancient Israel. Then being with child, ancient Israel brought forth the Messiah. She cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, a great fiery red dragon. Throughout the Bible, Satan is called a dragon. So the dragon, Satan was there trying to destroy Christ. Remember, he had Herod kill all the little boy babies in that whole area for miles around, under two years old. He didn't want to miss anyone in case the baby was even older than he thought. So he had seven heads and ten horns, as he had later in the in the time as the Roman Empire developed. And his tail drew a third, or had drawn, it may be translated, a third of the angels of heaven. So Satan drew one-third of the demons, of the angels, and they became demons, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, ready to give birth, to devour her child. He tried to kill Christ again and again. After Christ's very first sermon, you read, on, they grabbed, ran him to the edge of the cliff and tried to throw him down. And somehow he got away. Again and again they tried to kill Christ. They couldn't until it was God's time at the Passover in 31 A.D. And Christ is our Passover. Then God allowed it. Not until then. So they tried to kill him. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations. This is the Christ. Ancient Israel brought forth the Christ. A rule all nations with a rod of iron. As I've said, brethren, I used to think, well, why does God use a rod of iron? I hope today you can understand that. When you see what these pagan rulers have done in butchering people, torturing people, burning people alive, it's going to take a powerful being to shake these dictators to their very being to help them wake up. Many of them won't wake up even then, but it's going to take a God of power to deal with these people. He's not going to come with the, with the feather. He's going to come with a rod, a rod of iron. And her child, Christ, was caught up to God in his throne after his resurrection. Then, and this is later, God just skips ahead hundreds of years sometimes in this chat passage. Then the woman fled to the wilderness. During the dark ages, as we call it, the true church had to flee into southern France and northern Italy, where she had a place prepared of God, up in the Alps and the mountains to hide from the Roman Empire that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So there was a period there of that period of time. And war broke out in heaven. So here we come years later, our time, the time of the end. War breaks out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, against the demons. 
and the dragon and his angels fought against God, but they did not prevail. So the great dragon, verse uh, 9, was cast out, and he's going to be soon. Thank God for that. So Satan has cast out that great serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Every human being on earth has been deceived. I was deceived for the first 19 years of my life. Many of you were deceived. Some of you sitting here are still deceived. You're not really conquered by God. You don't fully get what I'm saying. And I know that. Many of you out in TV land seeing this later, you don't fully get it. God will help you to get it. If you seek God and ask for understanding, he will help you to wake up. He will help you to get it. So the war is going to break out. And the great dragon was cast out who deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth and his angels with him. All these demons then are going to be cast back down for the last time in the final battle. Then I heard a loud voice. Now is salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. Finally, the kingdom, the government of God is to literally be set up on this earth, not up in heaven. So it's going to come for the accuser of our brethren. There it is. Satan constantly accuses. He constantly accused Mr. Armstrong. Well, Mr. Armstrong is, is too arrogant. He's too pushy. Thomas Hamm and some who followed him were talking about Mr. Armstrong that way. Then others came along and said, Mr. Armstrong's betting too much money. And Mr. Armstrong wasn't even starting to commence to spend the money back then that he did later. But they were already accusing him. Well, Mr. Armstrong is too this and too that. Some people will accuse me. They'll accuse Mr. Ames. When Mr. Weston gets here and starts to assist us in running all kinds of the administrative areas of the work, they'll accuse him. They say he'll make a mistake. Yes, I'm sure he will make a mistake. Am I going to fire him the minute he makes a mistake? Of course not. I make a mistake every day I live. No one is perfect. But overall, Mr. Weston is one of the most dedicated, capable men that I know in the church of God. He has had experience for 47 years, walking with God, facing problems in Kansas City. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. He had to deal with them. And then, of course, for 13 years up in Canada, building the whole work. And he had a number of weird people causing problems, accusing him, accusing the work. He will face problems he perceives. He's able to perceive problems. Some of our ministers are just as dedicated, but they don't perceive what's happening. He does perceive what's happening, and he faces it. He solves it. So he will help us do that very, very much when he gets here. And I hope all of you will be praying for him. But anyway, the accuser of our brethren is finally cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives until death. In other words, some of them would rather have died. Some of them may be tortured. They would rather die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell on the earth. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil, this powerful spirit being, has come down to you having great wrath. Boy, is he mad, finally, because he knows he has but a short time. He'll realize his time is very short. He's not winning. God is going to win, as Mr. Armstrong said so many times. In the end, we win. Understand that, brethren. If you do your part, if you walk with God, 
you will be a winner. But God has got to be real to you, and you have got to understand that you're dealing with a spirit being, or spirit beings, thousands of them. You're in a spirit war. You can't let down. You're not going to win the tennis match by default. You've got to learn to hit the ball back. You've got to face the enemy. You've got to overcome. So Satan is angry. Now, when he, the dragon saw he'd been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. Boy, is he going to turn on God's church. And those of you who are still alive are going to see terrible persecution being to come before it gets too bad. Those are watching and praying and close to God. This scripture indicates and many others. That's not my topic. But most of you have heard us preach that. The very faithful people, the true Philadelphia, not those who call themselves that, but those who are Philadelphian, are going to be taken to a place of safety on this earth by Almighty God. But those who are left behind, yes, there is a left behind situation, not the one that Lahave wrote about, but they'll be left behind. And boy, are they going to get persecuted if they keep obeying God. But Satan hates them. He hates them. He's going to come after them with every fiber of his being. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth, and the flood, often that term flood, is a flood of armies, as it indicates in two or three places of the Old Testament. But the earth helped the woman and swallowed up the 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 flood which the dragon spewed out of his mouth. And now notice the last verse. And the dragon was enraged. This spirit being is enraged with the true church of God. He hates those people who weren't turned to him. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, those who are still left, the Laodiceans, many of them sincere, but they have not been willing to seek God. They have not been willing to fully walk with God. They've drifted along. You don't drift into the kingdom of God. The overcomers will become members of the kingdom of God, not those who drift along. So get this. So he went to make war with the rest of the others who keep the commandments of God, who are the true church of God, those who keep the commandments of God, all ten of them, commandments, plural, and the testimony of Christ. Some Protestants have tried to say this means the Jews. Well, they don't keep the commandments of God. Most Jews today know they would keep the Sabbath. And they certainly don't keep all the other commandments, even the professing Jews, as you if you study what they do. And they certainly don't even believe in Christ, so they don't have the testimony of Christ. But the true church of God does. So we can be given blessings and power forever if we keep the commandments of God and walk with God. So we've got to understand it and put first things first. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 6 now, brethren. Turn back to this point to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. And here in chapter 6 of Ephesians and verse 10, he talks about this war we're in. Finally, my brethren, Ephesians 6 verse 10. Be strong. Brethren, don't be weak. Learn to be real men, real women. Fight for the truth. It's worth it. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might and put on the whole armor of God. We're in a battle that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the strategy, the lies, the trickery of Satan the devil. He's very clever. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting other human beings ultimately. 
but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts. We're fighting spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You need every aspect of it. You've got to drink into the Bible. You've got to understand what it says, and you've got to do it. Stand, therefore, have your waist uh, girded with truth. What is truth? This book, Jesus said, thy word is truth. John 17, verse 17. Fill your mind with it. Then you'll have the mind of God. So your waist, your whole area over the area of hunger and sex is guided by truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that guides your heart. And having shod your feet, what you do, the way you go, get busy in the work, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Love is the greatest single quality. But in a battle, you're in a battle, you need faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith so Satan doesn't send fiery darts and all of a sudden this poison comes into you from a dart and you get wrong attitudes, you get wrong conceptions of things because Satan begins to put his attitude in you. And you've got to learn to be aware of that and resist these wrong attitudes that come at you from time to time. I remember right after I was baptized, I've told you this, about a month or two after I was baptized back in 1949, Satan attacked me. No way about it. I suddenly have these thoughts coming in my mind, just pounding in my mind. It was awful. And I came running back to the dormitory, and I asked some of the older students, what's going on? They said, Satan is attacking you. You better fast and pray. And I did. And one thing, brethren, I might digress for a moment. One or two of our ministers suggested to me, and I certainly thought of it myself, but I tend to put it off. I don't want to lay a burden on anyone, but we may need to call a spiritual fast. These things are speeding up in world events. Attacks from Satan have come and will come. So we may be asking you to fast in the next few weeks. I hope you'll respond for your good, not my good. We need to seek God as a church more than we have ever done. We're in a battle. We must win this battle. So anyway, we've got to put the shield of faith with which you can quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation that protects your mind and the sword of the Spirit. The only offensive weapon you have is the Word of God. You've got to study this Bible. You've got to learn how to wield it like a sword. To really understand it, to go over it and over it, know how to use it. And praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit being watchful, you're to be watchful of world events, watchful of these spiritual events, and to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Pray for one another. Pray for God's people everywhere. And for me, Paul writes, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul was in chains in Rome when he wrote this. This is one of the prison epistles. Yet it just rings with faith and trust in God because even though Paul was in prison with chains, he knew God was there. He'd seen God deliver and deliver and deliver again. He had a ringing declaration of faith when he wrote Ephesians and when he wrote Philippians and Colossians, these other prison epistles. Magnificent books from a man of faith. So he knew God. He was an ambassador in change. He said, pray for me that I may speak boldly 
as I ought to speak. And certainly I hope you'll pray for me and our other leading ministers here. We need your prayers. Satan is going to come after us in a special way. He will come after me because he knows we're doing the work. And so we need to pray for one another. Then back in First Peter, if you turn back there. Now let's turn to James chapter 4 first. James chapter 4 at this point. James chapter 4, and let's go there first. James chapter 4, and let's start in verse 4. He says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? If you're so familiar with all the latest TV programs, if you're so familiar with all of the latest movies, if you're so familiar with all the latest rock songs, I don't just say all those things are bad, but if that's what you're feeding on, Frankly, you're a friend of the world. Your mind's on the world too much. You must not have that approach. You've got to come out of this world and think about the things of God. Meditate on the things of God. Meditate on the purpose of your life. Friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Therefore, he says, resist, God resists the proud. God hates people in a sense, the attitude of pride and vanity. I've got it made and I'm so great. Resist the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Brethren, resisting is not passive, it's active. You're in a battle. You want to ask God. God, protect me from these wrong thoughts that are coming. I'm going to resist it. I'm going to say, God, rebuke you, Satan. I'm going to turn my mind the other way. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to walk with God, talk with God, feed on this book. I'm going to use my time the right way. I'm going to discipline myself. One of the fruits of God's Spirit is self-control. Control yourself. Control how you use your time. Brethren, if you really learn to walk with God, and you learn to study, not just carelessly read, but feed on this book and read and reread it and ask God for understanding. Meditate on it then. And then pray to God on your knees. Get up every day, first thing in the morning, and pray to God with all your heart. And then pray at least once or twice more through the day on your knees if you can. Work it out. You don't have to pray a full hour, but try to pray at least 20 or 30 minutes a day, at least on your knees. And talk to God. Ask God for help. Ask God for strength. Ask God for understanding. Ask God for wisdom. And ask God for His love and outflowing concern. And ask Him for faith and courage to go through these trials and these spirit battles. They are coming on you. They are coming on all of us. So we need to walk with God, interact with Christ, interact with God day by day, and have our hand in God's hands, and then with our hand in Christ's hand, in a daily walk with Christ, we will walk right on over into the kingdom of God. You know that. You've got to do that. It's not just a nice saying. It's a reality. And that's the way we've all got to try to live. None of us do it perfectly. I've never done it perfectly, but I've tried. And I hope you will try too. And we need to pray for one another. Let's turn now back to First Peter 5. Turn at this point to First Peter, the first epistle of Peter, 
chapter 5, near the end of your New Testament here. 1 Peter 5, and he talking about how the true ministers of God are to humble themselves and serve. And he says in verse 5, 1 Peter 5, verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, and I say this to you younger people, and to all of us, of course, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed. How do you do that? You do it by being really close to God and understanding how weak you are and how great God is and how much you need. You desperately need His help. Be clothed with humility. Have that just all over you. For God resists the proud. Notice His attitude. He doesn't like people who strut around and think they've got it made. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. God will exalt your brethren, but you've got to humble yourself and seek God with all your being. Seek God. Walk with God. Talk with God. Go after God. Say, Father, I need your help. Help me. Help me. And mean it. And seek God in these constant approaches of study and prayer. And then try to use God's Spirit. Action. Serve God. Do the things God says with your heart. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober. Don't be careless and just always having a good time and kidding about everything. Be vigilant, very alert, because your adversary, you have an enemy. Your enemy, Satan the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he devour. Resist him. Again, that's active. You don't just do it by sitting there. It's an active war you're in. Resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. They have trials, but they don't know what to do. But may the God of all grace, who called you not to, but the Greek word here is ice, E-I-S, meaning into. He doesn't just call you to the foot of the mountain. He calls you into eternal glory. You will have that glory as a full son of God if you make it. He's called you into eternal glory by Christ Jesus, when you'll just drift in there easily? No. After you have suffered a while. I've had to suffer trials and tests and accusations and people pu- putting, pulling power plays on me, even in God's work, all kinds of things. He has tested me, tested me, tested me. He will test you also. Don't give up. Fight the good fight. Keep on. Trust God, though. Try to do it His way. After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, and strengthen, uh, and settle you to Him, to God, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Because Christ will have glory along with God the Father throughout all eternity. And brethren, if you fight this good fight of faith, if you really realize the reality of the spirit world, of Satan the devil, his demons, and of God and of his angels, and why you're here to become full sons of God and an entire kingdom, an entire family of spirit beings with God reproducing himself and putting his nature in you. If you overcome and make it into the kingdom and the family of God, you will have glory and power and majesty and absolute joy forever and ever and ever. There will be no end. Your blessing will be for eternity. It's worth it. So do it with all your heart, with all your mind, with all of your being.
and pray for one another.